Well, good morning. <clears throat> Thank you so much for just the blessing of being a part of this time of worship. And for the reminder this morning through that worship that one day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For that reason, we can say right now it is well in our soul. We know where we're going, and we know what the future holds. And it's always a tremendous encouragement to me to be able to spend that kind of time in worship with that kind of focus and reminder. So many, many thanks to Kevin and all of his team for leading us so faithfully in worship every single Sunday morning. Well, we are studying the life and the times of God's Old Testament prophet Elijah. His story is found in chapters 17, 18, and 19 of 1 Kings. And I hope you have already seen and sensed that Elijah is some kind of guy. One of my favorite, if not my favorite, Old Testament character. And, and what I love about Elijah, among many things, is that the chief characteristic of his life was absolute, unconditional, unquestioned obedience to God. We know he was a man of prayer. We have seen that he was a student of the Word he knew the reality of God in his own experience of life, and so God was able to use him to do some incredible and really even unbelievable kinds of things to impact his culture and to change his nation. We have seen where Elijah went into the palace of King Ahab, this wicked pagan king who was ruling over the nation of Israel. And he said to him, Ahab, heaven is closed because of your wickedness and the wickedness of this nation. There's going to be no more rain in this land. It will not rain again, king, until I say so. Now, let me tell you, that, that took some courage took some courage, but Elijah was not afraid to stand up and confront his culture. He wasn't afraid to proclaim, thus saith the Lord, because he had the courage of his convictions. He knew what he believed. He knew who he believed in. And so he never shrank back from acting on those beliefs no matter the opposition that came his way, no matter the risk, no matter the danger, no matter the cost. Can I tell you something this morning? I don't see a lot of that today. I don't see a lot of Elijah kind of folks Today, you know, for many of us, when we die, 
and they put a tombstone over us, that tombstone will stand not as a monument to greatness, but rather to mediocrity. We were born, we grew up, we finished school, we got a job, we had a family, we got old, and we died. The epitaph for many of our lives, church, will read just like that. Oh, there, there, there may be a few variations along the way. But our story will largely be the story of the unremarkable and the mediocre because we opted for a non-controversial, safe, innocuous, savorless, unexceptional, totally predictable Christian life. We never stirred the pot. We never went out on a limb. We kept the status quo. We held ourselves back and in the process held a lot of other people back. Our impact scarcely noticed except for a few close friends and family. That scares me to death. It wasn't that way with Elijah. He was a man who knew who he was. He knew where he stood. He knew who he served. And so he didn't care what other people thought. He didn't care how many might have been against him. He didn't back down and he didn't back up for anybody. And that's because he was a man of conviction. Not a, not a word we hear a lot about today. A man of conviction. And you know, there is no story, I, I don't guess, in any, anywhere in all of Scripture, certainly not from the life of Elijah, that illustrates this any more than the story we're going to begin looking at this morning in 1 Kings chapter 18, sometimes called the battle of the gods. We're going to spend several weeks looking at this because there's a lot here. Let me give you some background as we get started from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. In 1 Kings chapter 18, now, three years have passed since Elijah burst into the palace of King Ahab and said, Ahab, heaven is closed. For three years now, there has been no rain. And Israel was in a time of unparalleled drought and famine. It's a very difficult time. Verse 2, I listed for you there, says that the famine was severe. And this is a word in Hebrew that means it was as bad as it could possibly get. It there were terrible things happening in the nation because for three years they had been without rain. In fact, 
If you look down at verses 5 and 6 of 1 Kings chapter 18, you can read that things were so bad that King Ahab himself, now here's the king of the nation having to go out in search of grass to feed his own livestock, to keep his horses alive so he wouldn't have to kill them. Let me tell you, when the king has to do something like that, you know it's a bad situation. And it was a bad situation. So not surprisingly, the king is out to get Elijah. And he wants him badly. In fact, you, you can see uh, as, 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 you, as you read through this story, and I think in my own mind that, that when Elijah first came into the palace of the king and said, hey, it's not going to rain, we're shutting down heaven, the king probably sort of just laughed that off. Yeah, right, Elijah, sure. I mean, nobody can shut down heaven. But now that it hasn't rained for three years and things are so bad, the king is really trying to get Elijah, and he wants him. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 10, you can actually read there that the king had sent people out into every nation and in every kingdom to search for Elijah. So the king's out to get him, but the king can't find Elijah because God is protecting his prophet. But God is getting ready to do something here of great significance. So Let's look at this encounter between Elijah and Ahab, okay? Ahab can't find Elijah, but Elijah is going to find Ahab. Let's look together at 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. It says, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, don't miss the significance here. Here's Elijah. He knows that the king is out to get him. In fact, look at verse 4 there. It tells us that Jezebel, the queen, Ahab's wife, was killing off all the prophets of the Lord. Now, who was Elijah? He was a prophet of the Lord, right? So when God comes to Elijah and says, go and present yourself to Ahab in verse 1, what did Elijah do in verse 2? He went and he presented himself to Ahab. You see, Elijah was committed to obedience, no matter what. Are you that committed to obedience? You see, when we talk about living a life of conviction, when we talk about always acting in accordance with your beliefs, no matter what, what? When we talk about conviction, you can fill in these blanks, okay? Conviction is not about obeying God when obedience is easy. Conviction means being willing to obey God when obedience is hard, when it's costly, when it's risky. 
Elijah was committed to obedience even when obedience was hard, even when it could cost him his very life. So what happens? Well, let's skip down to verses 17 and 18. Look at them with me. They're there in your message guide. Here comes Elijah. Ahab sees him coming. And look at what he says to him in verse 17. Elijah, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Elijah, is that you, you troublemaker for my nation? You've really got us in a mess, Elijah. We're we're in a drought. We're in a famine here, and it's your fault. You're nothing but a troublemaker. Now let me, let me stop here because I've got to say something uh, about this. If you have the courage of your convictions, if you dare to stand up and stand out for Jesus Christ in your society, in your community, in your family, in your school, wherever it may be, if you dare to stand up and stand out for Jesus Christ, I can almost promise you, you're going to be labeled a troublemaker. You're going to be labeled a troublemaker because men and women of conviction are not content to live and let live. They are willing, when necessary, to stand up And say, thus saith the Lord. So King Ahab says, Elijah, you're a troublemaker. But in verse 18, Elijah says, whoa, hold on there just a minute, king. I've not made trouble for Israel. You have made trouble. For Israel, you're the troublemaker. In fact, Ahab, your whole family's troublemakers. Your daddy was a troublemaker. Your mama was a troublemaker. Your whole family are troublemakers. Why? Because you're the ones who've abandoned the Lord's commands. You're the one who have followed the Baals. You're the troublemaker. Don't you dare blame the preacher. (laughs) Can you imagine talking to a king like that? Can you imagine? But you see, Elijah was not like a lot of Christians today. Always shifting back and forth. Always, you know, testing the prevailing winds of the culture. Uncertain of what they believe. Feet firmly planted in midair. No. Elijah had the courage of his convictions, and that's why God was able to take his life and use it as a vehicle for the miraculous. That was why God was able to work through Elijah's life to bring revival to the nation. So here's the question for the morning for you and for me. How do I live my life? How can I live my life 
so that I have the courage of my conviction, so that I can stand up and stand out for Jesus Christ, so that I have what it takes to pursue as my highest priority in life, pleasing God, doing what God tells me to do, no matter what. When there are so many forces and so many factors pulling at me, when the pressure is against me, when nobody else will stand with me, where will I find the courage to keep on doing what I know God is telling me to do regardless of the circumstances? Well, three things that we find here in 1 Kings chapter 18, and here's number one. And this is the most important because it is basic. It is foundational. Without this, really doesn't matter what else we do. So here's the lesson. I can live a life of conviction when I am totally committed to the person of God. I can live a life of conviction, and I can only live a life of conviction when I am totally committed to the person of God. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning with verse 19. Elijah says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver? Between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. There's an incredible problem here. Evidenced by the silence of God's people. When Elijah said, how long are you going to be back and forth? How long are you going to waver, God's people, between two opinions? See, here's the issue. I hope you see it. Elijah said, if if the Lord, Yahweh, is God If he is in fact who he says he is, then make a commitment that you're going to follow him all the way. Decide you're going to follow him all the way. If, on the other hand, Baal is really God, then make a commitment to follow him. Decide you're going to follow him, but stop going back and forth between the two. 
You see, here's, here's what the people were doing. They were trying to have it both ways by having two gods. That way, if one didn't come through for them, they had another one to fall back on. If God didn't seem to be coming through, if God wasn't meeting their needs, if God wasn't answering their prayers, if God wasn't giving them what they wanted, then they would go to Baal. If Baal wasn't coming through, then they would go to God back and forth, back and forth between the two. Now, I know what the temptation for us today is. The temptation for us today is to say, wait a minute, preacher, no way, I would never do that. Guess what? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, or Sunday morning, 10.30, we're all for God. We get dressed up, we grab our Bibles, we come to church, and we say, the Lord is God, we will follow him. But what about in the middle of the week when the pressure's on? When things get tough, when we've got a decision to make and it looks like God's way couldn't possibly be the best way, then we say, well, in this situation, Baal is God. We'll follow him. And let me tell you, Baal might be the advice of our friends. Baal might be the popular opinion of the day. Baal might be the easy way out. Baal might be the pathway of least resistance. Baal might be the decision that benefits us the most financially. Baal might be the decision that makes the most people happy. Hey, Baal can be anything because anything that is not God's way is Baal's way. Are you with me? Anything that is not God's way is Baal's way. Maybe our own way. Maybe somebody else's way. But Elijah says, you can't do that and be a man or a woman of conviction. If the Lord is really God, if he is really who he says he is, then follow him. If Baal is God, Follow him. Go all the way with God or don't go with God at all, but you can't stay in the middle. You can't have it both ways. Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, look at it. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and Love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And, and, and I love the Amplified Bible here because it, it tells us everything that that could possibly be. It could be money. It could be possessions. It could be fame. It could be status. It could be anything that is not God's thing. It becomes Baal's thing. And really, we see the same thing. In Revelation chapter 3, the words of the risen Christ, 
to the church at Laodicea. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold, and again, I love the Amplified Bible here, invigorating, refreshing. You're not, you're not that way. You're not, you're not cold. You're not hot, healing or therapeutic. I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, spiritually useless, and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth, rejecting you with disgust. Now, folks, that is not pretty language. But it's not supposed to be. This is deadly serious. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you try to have it both ways? That's the question on the floor. That every one of us here today must wrestle with. How many more blessings does God have to give you before you'll go all the way with him? How many more things does he have to do for you before you'll stand by him completely? How long does he have to keep begging for you and me to give ourselves to him wholeheartedly and completely? How long? Next year? The year after that? On your 50th birthday, your 60th, your 70th, your 80th? When you find out you have some kind of terminal disease, when you know you don't have very long to live, when tragedy strikes? Maybe then, huh? When? How long? How long are you going to fluctuate back and forth? God wants to know when you're going to follow him all the way. I've heard recently this question from within this congregation. It's been said in a variety of different ways, but basically, to sum it up, when will Taylor's First Baptist Church get back to being the kind of church it used to be? When will we begin reaching people like we used to reach them? When will we begin impacting our community the way we used to impact each other? <laughs> the answer is right here. Can I tell you the answer is not a new preacher? Can I just say that right now? I thank the Lord for the search committee. They're doing awesome work. But if you're putting this pressure on a new preacher... You are wasting your dreams. Let me tell you when God will begin to move. Let me tell you when things will begin to happen. Let me tell you when he will send Holy Spirit revival among his people. It is when we decide and determine fully, finally, and forever that we're going to stop wavering between two opinions. And we're going to go with God all the way. I can begin being and living and experiencing and having the courage of my convictions when I am totally 
committed to the person of God. When I determine fully, finally, and forever that I'm going to go with God all the way, that he gets me lock, stock, and barrel, that I hold nothing back from him. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Those people said nothing. What are you going to say? Right now. I want you to bow your heads with me. We're stopping right here this morning. And we're finishing a little early this morning. Because this is a question of such profound importance. It is an issue of such incredible significance that I will not move any further ahead. You will not move any further ahead. This church will not move any further ahead until we settle this issue. Is the Lord God? Is he really who he says he is? And are we going to follow him? Or are we going to continue to waver back and forth between two opinions? For God this moment, for Baal the next. God's way now, our way later. My friend, we will never, ever experience the power and the presence of God in our lives or in this church until we settle this issue. So we're going to enter into a time of reflection, time of commitment, and I'm going to ask you to join me this morning in saying, God, here are our lives. Here, here is who we are this morning. We determine that you get everything we are, everything we have from this moment forward. Heavenly Father, we read a story like we have read this morning or see a text like we've seen this morning and so often it seems so far removed from us, it's entertaining history. Father, I pray this morning you would help us to understand it is a text aimed directly at every one of our hearts this morning. The question is whether or not we're going to be men and women of conviction. Knowing what we believe, knowing who we believe in, and acting on those beliefs in every situation, in every circumstance, in every decision, no matter what. Lord, if there are those here this morning who have never for the very first time 
taken that step of faith that would usher them into your kingdom by coming to Jesus Christ, acknowledging and confessing sin, repenting of that sin, turning away from it and turning to Christ, embracing Him as living Lord and Savior and beginning that journey of walking daily in relationship with Him. Oh God, I pray today would be that day. I pray in just a moment as we stand, that person would come forward and say, I need, I need Christ in my life. But Lord, for those of us who've been here and been around a long time, who may have made that decision many years ago, Lord, there's a work you need to do in us as well. And I pray today would be the day, Lord, when we say, I hold nothing back any longer. You get everything I have. Not waver between two opinions, but God, I get off the fence. I stop trying to have it both ways. And I want to become today that man, that woman of conviction so that you can work through my life like you worked in Elijah's life to bring renewal and revival to my life, my community, my church, my nation even among the nations. So, Father, we give you this time this morning. Pray that your spirit would have the freedom to move. Do what you want to do here today, this morning, Lord. And my prayer is begin that work in me. I pray that would be the prayer of every one of our hearts that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me in standing? We're going to sing a hymn that if it is the prayer of your heart this morning, it is the beginning of revival. Take my life. Let it be consecrated Lord to thee thee, as we sing. If you need to come and accept Christ, if you want to unite with this church family, if God's spoken to you at the point of this message, this is your opportunity to respond. You come as we sing together right now.